This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and it looks like we made it to the end of another week. This is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering questions, Bible questions, questions about something going on in your life, whatever is on your heart. All you need to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Well, hope you have a great weekend in church. I always love Fridays because it's all church all the time for us. I'm going to be teaching tonight uh, out of Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. That's at 7 o'clock. You can watch it at calvaryessay.com, or you can join us. We've always got room on Friday nights, and uh, that's our Friday night Bible study. Then on Sunday, I am going to begin in chapter 28, chapter last of the book of Acts. I've got two more studies in the book of Acts and we'll be done with that. And that starts, of course, 8.30, 10.15, and 11.59 are our service times on Sunday. Okay, let's get to some questions that have been sent in while we await your phone calls. Our first one is from Joe Ellen. Um, hi, hello, Pastor Ron. Joe Ellen, this is the second time this week. Thank you very, very much. Uh, Hello, Pastor Ron. I'm reading the Bible in a year right now. Uh, Now I'm in Exodus, the Psalms, and Matthew. I really enjoy reading it this way, uh, seeing so many connections and parallels. Before I read the rest of this, Joellen, let me tell you what a thrill it is when I hear things like this. You know, people that say, and we've had a couple of questions just this week about why do we need to read the Old Testament. Well, it's because of the connections that you're going to see, because of the pictures. You use the term uh, parallels. Uh, The books, as we read uh, in the Old Testament, uh, they're all about Jesus. The law and the prophets, Jesus said, testify to me. So you're going to see a whole lot of of, uh, connections and parallels. And this is great. Reading the Bible... Uh, in a year, it's a great, great thing. Um, I have a question, though, about this idea that if you see God, you will die. I've heard this, 
uh, used by some people who argue that Jesus can cannot be God, because if you look upon God, you will die. And I think I've even read it in the Bible, but I don't remember the context. Um, was it Elijah on the mountain? I think you're probably thinking of, of Moses... Um, uh, when God told him to go back into the cave and he let the after the backside of the afterglow of his glory pass by. More on that in a moment. Um, but here in Exodus 24, verses 9 to 11, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 elders saw God. It says they beheld him even seeing the sapphire stone pavement under his feet. I haven't read uh, on, on, I haven't read yet uh, but I'm assuming that they did not, since God himself uh, invited or commanded them to come up to him on the mountain. I'm assuming this was the Father God, not a pre-incarnated appearance of Jesus. Why can't some see him and some uh, can see him? Um, Joel, and a couple of things. This is something that gets people. Let me give you an example. Um, it says of Moses that the Lord spoke to Moses as a man would speak to a friend face to face. And people say, see, there's a contradiction. Uh, uh, Moses saw him face to face. It doesn't say that. He spoke to him as a man would speak to a friend face to face. And that's a whole different dynamic. Uh, that's the way the Lord spoke to, to Moses. That's the way Moses got directions. So those are really important considerations. We have to read very, very carefully. Now, let me see. that No one can see God. That's clear. Um, listen uh, to First um, Timothy. No one has ever seen God who is, and here's the key, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. Um, it is only through God's Son, Jesus Christ, that we can approach God. Jesus said he's come to reveal the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the idea, Joellen, is that every appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, every uh, Christophany, Theophany, whatever you prefer, uh, is Jesus. Uh, in John chapter 12, um, we, we hear about Isaiah's vision, and John tells us that Isaiah saw Jesus. So every time somebody sees God, they're seeing the person of Jesus Christ. That was always his ministry. He always didn't take on human flesh, and it was in that flesh that we could approach him. Now, the picture here is we can't see the glory of God. We can't see the presence of the Father. Now, remember, the Father is spirit. He doesn't have corporal presence. The Father is spirit. And so to see the glory of God, and that's why the Israelites were shaking at the bottom of the mountain. No, you go up, Moses. We don't want to go up. They were terrified because that's what the presence of God is all about. So Jesus is the only way that we can ever see God. Now, because of our physical, moral, and spiritual limitations, God the Father sent his Son to reveal him to the world. That's, that's how we can see him. Um, it was um, Jesus in the burning bush that spoke with Moses. Um, in Genesis 32, we have Jacob wrestling with Jesus Christ, not with the Father, but wrestling with Jesus Christ. In Judges chapter 13, we see Samson's parents who have uh, an appearance of the Lord. This is the 
angel of the Lord, definite article. So it's Jesus, and they fall down, and they worship. Um, and Samson's father is terrified. Now we're going to die. Isaiah chapter 6, I've seen the Lord. I'm a man of unclean lips. I must die. So um, um, there's always an exception. Jesus um, or an angel took a coal and touched and cleansed Isaiah's lips. So they saw him through uh, um, a vision or, or a dream. And in this particular case, it was Jesus Christ. We know that from John chapter 12. Thank you, Joel, and keep reading your Bible. That's wonderful, wonderful for a pastor to hear. Here is a question. This one is from Anonymous. Hi, Pastor Ron. Any thoughts about Facebook, Instagram, prayer meetings? People have been sharing testimonies and miracles in some prayer sessions. What are your thoughts on these? Thank you. Anonymous, super, 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 super skeptical. Um, remember that the Prince of the Air, that's that's satanic reference, is the devil. Remember that he masquerades as an angel of light. And there, there's simply not going to be a movement of God on the Internet. I know we like that, especially young people, everything they do. They even date or, or, or find prospective mates online. They have food delivered from, from restaurants and from grocery stores. Um, but there's no shortcut to prayer. And so I would be super skeptical of them. Um, and um, if people are there with the right heart and they're praying to the Lord and they're praying in the will of God, they're going to get prayers answered. But but the reports of miracles happening in these prayer sessions are usually greatly exaggerated. And without proof, uh, I would be super, super skeptical. A lot of times what you'll get in these kind of uh, Zoom prayer meetings or Facebook or Instagram. Now, keep in mind, I've never been on Facebook or Instagram, so I don't really know what I'm talking about. But but these kind of prayer meetings, uh, they're usually dominated by um, hyper-charismatics. Now, remember, I'm charismatic, so I'm not saying the gifts of spirit aren't for today. But um, in that kind of a setting, all of this same rules that apply in First Corinthians chapters 12 and 14, um, sandwiched um, between them is chapter 13, the love chapter, which deals with motive. Uh, so the rules don't get suspended just because you're online. So it'd probably be real easy to, to, to get into one of those prayer meetings and see uh, if they're really paying attention to what the Word of God says. So not being on Instagram or prayer book, I uh, just would be super, super skeptical. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a, another anonymous question from our email inbox. Uh, hello, Pastor. God bless you in Calvary Chapel. Thank you for that. Uh, please forgive, can be, <laughs> but can you please explain the Trinity in detail? My daughter is having a hard time understanding the concept and that Jesus would pray to the Father if he himself is God. Yeah, this is hard. I know you don't tell me how old your daughter is. But one of the things that we have to do as we read the Bible is go through those passages of Scripture that say the Father is God, that Jesus is God, and that the Holy Spirit is God. And we've got to settle that regardless of whether it makes any sense to us. I know our logical brains will say... We'll say, but one plus one plus one is three, and we know there's only one God. Well, there's only one God, but that God is manifest in three persons. 
Now, with the discussion with Joe Ellen's question, it fits in nicely here because um, no one can see the Father and live. Uh, the whole purpose of God sending his Son was so that we could live. So Jesus came to reveal the person of the Father. That was his mission on earth. He put on skin. He divested himself uh, of his divinity. He rendered it useless while he was here on earth. And he he felt dealt with everything. I'm sorry, he dealt with everything uh, as a person, just like you, as a human, just like you and I do. So uh, Jesus's role was to reveal the Father. He said uh, to Philip, Philip, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Uh, you ask after all this time, you still ask, but, but I'm him. It doesn't mean he is the Father. It means he came to reveal the nature of the Father. Later in Acts chapter 5, we have the Holy Spirit called God as well. So here's what I would say to your daughter. The Father sent the Son to reveal the character, the nature, the person of the Father. Jesus, when he was here and just getting ready to leave, he said he would send the Holy Spirit, who also is God, and the Holy Spirit would convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit is a very active role in the world that we live in. But Jesus said that he, the Holy Spirit, will testify of him. So the Father sent the Son to reveal the Father. Jesus sent the Spirit to reveal Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's job is to draw people to him through the conviction of sin and of righteousness and judgment. So that's the only way that it can be explained. It doesn't have to make sense. Uh, at the same time, I don't think it lacks reason. Um, you know, the people that say one plus one plus one is three, I always answer yeah, with, yeah, but one times one times one is what is one. So that's what the Trinity is. So what you would do, and I don't like all of the the, the illustrations, um, uh, you know, about the Trinity. It's just simple. The Bible declares that the Father is God, that Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, and all of them are separate and distinct. Um, you know, when Jesus was praying to the Father, he wouldn't be praying to himself. He was praying to the Father. Jesus was submitted and under the authority of the Father while he was here on earth. And since that's the case, they are separate and distinct. The Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus. That means that the Spirit and Jesus are separate and distinct. Way back in the beginning, we're told that God said, let us make man in our image. Let us. That's a reference to the triune nature of God. So, uh, Anonymous, that's the best I can do. Um, and I think it's just a matter of sitting down with your daughter and saying, you know, you believe what the Bible says is true, right? And then take her to all the places. Jesus says he's God everywhere throughout the Gospels. Um, the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira are told by Peter, you didn't lie to man, but you lied to God you lied to the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is identified as God. And of course, there's no question about the Father uh, being God. Uh, it's just completely, think of, think of one God, but with three completely different ministries, three completely different manifestations, not three gods, but one. 
Good question. Thank you very, very much. And God bless you for sharing all of this stuff with your daughter. That's really, really important. You know, I don't think parents really understand how accountable they are going to be to the Lord for raising their children to know and to love Jesus Christ, teaching them the word. Here's a question from William. He says, I recently got saved. And my girlfriend of six years doesn't want to abstain from sex. How should I approach her? Well, you may not like hearing this, but you got to get rid of her. And I don't mean that in a, in a ugly way, but but unequally yoked people are not to be together. It's that simple. Christians are not to be with unbelievers. Um, I would think this would be a great opportunity for you to witness to your girlfriend. Uh, I've been with you six years. You've been with me through bad times and good times. You know that I love you, but I met Jesus Christ, and I love him more. And he says that sex outside of marriage is wrong. And how can I disobey the Lord of my life? And William, what's going to happen is that when she understands your commitment to your new faith, it's going to make an impact. I promise you the Holy Spirit will use it. Now, I'm not, I don't intend at all to imply that she's going to fall on her face, get saved, and everything's going to be fine. But, but you need to demonstrate to her that your relationship with Jesus means more to you than your relationship with her. The book of Hebrews says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And William, you've been living in sin. Your girlfriend is a hindrance. And uh, the best way to witness the authenticity of your faith is to show her that you are so committed to your Jesus that you're willing to forego a relationship that you've been deeply, heavily invested in. So I think that's how you should approach it. Shoot it nicely, tenderly, but very, very firmly. I'm simply not going to do things that God doesn't want me to do anymore. He will be so proud of you and, and, and then, of course, pray like crazy for. So one day, maybe, she too will get saved. Hopefully, that day will come quickly. We have a lot of people here, William. Um, gosh, in the last couple of months, uh, I don't know, we've had a half dozen or so people that come to the church to hear the Word of God taught. They're living together with somebody they're not married to, and the Spirit of God convicts them of sin. And we've done a whole bunch of really fast weddings um, j- just so that they could get right with God. But before you even entertain the possibility, even if you say, well, okay, I'll marry you, or, uh, or what, just remember that Unequally yoked relationships, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, unequally yoked relationships are disobedient to the Lord. I would tell her, you know what, I'll never marry somebody who doesn't love Jesus. Well, why would you do that? I love you. It's easy. I I can't imagine spending my life here with somebody who's not going to be in heaven. That's a lot for a brand new believer, William. But I think the Spirit of God is already working on you. You just got to say no to the sex. You got to say no to the girlfriend. Let God work on her. Here's a question from Vivian. 
She says, I struggle with why God, if he is loving, and then parenthetically she writes, and I know he is, why he would create people he knows are predestined to hell. Well, uh, Vivian, people aren't predestined to hell. The whole world has an opportunity. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Now, the reality is that God knows who's going to go to hell, but it's not because God makes them go to hell. I think that's something that we, we, we think in such a linear way that we, we don't leave room for what the Spirit is really saying. Um, God, based on his foreknowledge, knows what choices people are going to make. And the choice that we make, since he knows, um, should he not make us? Should he not allow us to be born? God's certainly pro-life. He certainly wouldn't abort children. So what he does is those people who, even the ones that he knows, are going to spend eternity in hell, they are given chance after chance after chance after chance to change their mind and their heart. So that's why it's important. Something else to consider. When we talk about why God would create people, God doesn't create people. The process a man and a woman having sex, the woman gets pregnant, a baby is born. That's the process that God created. But we actually create people when we have sex. And God doesn't just all of a sudden say, okay, I'm going to suspend that process because there are going to be some people who are born. God gives everybody a chance. One other comment about this, Vivian, that I think we often misunderstand You know, there is a lot of wonder and awe that people are able to enjoy in this world. Uh, There are unbelievers who have made wonderful contributions to this world. Um, God allows those people to make those contributions. God allows people in this world to be wealthy. I, I, I think, well, God, why would you bless this person with money and bless this person with fame? And then you realize that... Well, that's all they're going to get forever and ever and ever. The psalmist in Psalm 73 said, you know, um, surely God is good to Israel, but as for me, my feet almost slipped when I, I, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then he gets to the place where he says, until I enter the sanctuary of God, they're shut out from the sanctuary of God. He's enjoying the presence of God. And that's what we get who are believers. And so we shouldn't, begrudge anybody the opportunity to have a life and enjoy the life and be successful. Um, and then we got to be okay with the choice they make, whether it's to receive Jesus Christ and spend eternity with him or to reject Jesus Christ and spend eternity without him. Luke chapter 16, Vivian, is a great place to go to. The rich men... And Lazarus, it's a story, it's not a parable. We know that because in parables, names aren't used. And they both die on the same day. They were connected in this world. Lazarus, the beggar, all he wanted was some scraps from the table of the rich man. The rich man didn't give him any of those scraps. When they died, the rich man went to uh, the place of torment And Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom or paradise, uh, and their eternal destinies were set. But both of them were allowed to live. Both of them were allowed to make a choice. And I think we need not to struggle with God 
allowing people to be born. Remember, he's certainly pro-life. He wouldn't abort anybody. Um, he gives us the opportunities to do the right thing, to make the right choices. Here's our last question for this half of the program. This is from Amber. It's related to Vivian's questions, why I put them together. Are there people who are going to hell because they have no choice? Um, no, Amber, um, you, you, you've been touched by uh, reform theology or Calvinism. Um, we don't have free will. God does what God wants to do. We don't have any. The whole world has a choice. From Genesis through Revelation, the Bible is filled with choices. Joshua said to Israel, Choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So everybody has a choice. Everybody has a choice. It's simply, as I said to uh, our earlier questioner, that um, God knows what choice we're going to make. Judas had plenty of opportunities to repent and ask for forgiveness. He chose not to. And he pays the eternal consequence for that. Jesus said he was the son of perdition from the very beginning. Jesus always knew who he was, where he would spend forever. But that was the choice he made. But everybody, Amber, please understand, everybody has a choice. God is simply rooting for us to make the right choice. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our week. 210-340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back on the other side of the break. See you in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of the program thank you again for tuning in we so appreciate that you allow us to spend part of our day with you here is a question anonymous uh, Pastor Ron, my teenager, has recently decided he is an atheist and no longer wants to go to church. What advice would you give me to deal with this? You know, when I get questions like this, I am amazed, Anonymous. I'm amazed. I would, I would, here's what I would tell your teenager. What makes you think you have a choice? It's that simple. You live in this house. We pay the rent or we pay the mortgage. We buy the food. We provide you with clothing. You're going to live here, our rules, and until you are an adult, 18 or beyond, then you can make your own decisions. But until that time, you do what we tell you to do. And it's just that simple. I never understand why any Christian parent would give their child a choice. We don't give them a choice about going to public school or, or, or regular school. We don't give them a choice about the things that they have to do. We just tell them, this is what you're going to do, and you're going to be polite. You're going to be respectful. I can't make you believe in Jesus Christ, but I can make you go, and you're going to hear the word. 
And I just think that's how firm we have to be. Uh, the, the idea that kids even have an opinion is astonishing to me. Moms and dads, you are stewards of those children that God has given you. They are his gifts to you, and your job is to raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Uh, the rest then is up to them. If your child runs away from Jesus Christ, as soon as they leave home, make sure it's not your fault. So make sure that you're living a life that is sending the right message to your kids or, or this child. Um, make sure that you're walking with the Lord, that you're rightly representing him in the home. Um, but beyond that, you have no choice in the matter. We're going to get up. You're going to be with us. And um, that's just the way it's going to be. So no choice at all. Let's go to Alan on line one. Alan, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Pastor Ron, God bless you. How are you? I'm well, Alan. How about you? Oh, I'm hanging in there. Uh, uh, struggling, but, but I'm doing okay, thanks, thanks to Jesus. He, he, good. It's he always good to hear alive. from you. We worry. Thank, thank you, and I've been praying for you. How, how's your health? My health is pretty good. You know, I, I have a terrible time during Mountain Cedar season. I'm counting down. we got less than two weeks left in uh, Mountain Cedar season, and I'll be fine. But other than that, I'm doing really well, Alan. I just had a sinus infection myself, so I was struggling through that. But I was going to ask you uh, about, because I know there's a class in, in, in your church about uh when you talk to people about Jesus, I'm not sure I know the, the pastor class. And uh, anyways, uh, I was talking to a young man about Jesus and accepting him, and he's very um, he's very determined that, that about his own responsibilities that he's giving himself credit for uh, for all the blessings he has and every all the all the good things that have happened in his life was because of his, uh, his own efforts. And I explained to him that, no, that they're all gifts from, from Christ, that all, all our attributes, everything we have, they're all gifts from Christ. And we have to glorify God. That's the prime directive. And so he's very intelligent. But I, we went through the whole explanation. I explained everything to him, and I said, it's a love relationship with Jesus is the Creator. He creates us, and it's a love relationship. He gives us our whole lives uh, to accept Him, and uh, and if you don't accept Him in your whole lifetime, then and I said you, I said I'm sorry, but you get fried. And I used those words, and I know I shouldn't have, but <laughs> I guess he rejected me now. And I like to go back and talk to him again, but I just didn't use the right words, I guess. And uh, but that's how I said and yeah, Ellen, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do feel like you did it wrong or anything. The, the, the reality is that people don't want to stop sinning. Um, they, they don't want God to be in control of their lives. That's never changed. And uh, so it's not you that he's rejecting or your presentation sounds to me like you did fine. Uh, I know your heart is a, is a heart loving towards people. Um, so what you can do now is pray for him. You shared with him, and now you pray for him. Let me correct a couple of things that you said, though. You said that he's very intelligent. He's not at all. He may have a high IQ. He may be smart. But the Bible says, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so we have to understand, he doesn't have the intellectual high ground here. We know that he is a fool. The, that, that Hebrew word, 
is the word that we get our English word moron from. And so he may know stuff, but, you know, Solomon writes at the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. And so he, he may have intellect, but he doesn't have any wisdom at all. The other thing that when you're talking to people like that, I would always say, you know, why are you even talking to me about this? If you take credit for everything that you've done and your life is just so full of good things and blessing, why are you even talking to me about these things? And then without even waiting for an answer, you can say, here's what I know is true. And in my particular case, Alan, I can tell somebody this because this is exactly what I lived through. Outwardly, you can try to convince everybody. You can even try to convince yourself that everything is great and God is blessing you. And uh, But inwardly, you know that's not true. One of the things that we Christians don't really believe is that everybody, and I mean everybody without exception, everybody apart from Jesus Christ, is empty inside. They're miserable. Now, they will argue with you. I would have argued with you. I would have said, you don't know me. Don't judge me. Uh, my life is great. But, but inwardly, that would rip me up because I knew. It was like they were reading my mail from heaven. I knew that they were telling me the truth. And so what we've got to do is understand the only exception when I said everybody apart from Christ is miserable, at, at some point our hearts can get so hard that we can't even recognize that misery anymore. But the, the fact is we're all empty inside, Alan, without him. And we Christians have to remember that even when people are fussing and fighting against it, we can plant that seed. You know you're lonely. You know you're miserable. You know there's something missing from your life. If you ever, And here's how I usually end a conversation like this, Alan. I'll tell people, if you ever really want to talk about important things, call me. Let me know. I'll spend all the time you need. And just leave it at that and let him pray. Let, you pray for him and, and let the Spirit of God work on them. Alan, always good to hear from you. I'm sorry that you're not doing really, really great, but I'm glad that you're doing better. 340-9585 for your live calls. Here's a question, Anonymous. It says, the girl I've fallen in love with recently became a believer. She wanted me to know everything about her past, and some of the things are pretty shocking. How should I respond? Um, Anonymous, here's what I would do. All the things that happened before Christ... None of those things matter any longer. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. And so together now, as believers, you can celebrate the newness in life. And you know, one of the things, it, it's true, um, he or she who has been forgiven much, loves much, this is an opportunity for the two of you to celebrate together the height and depth and width and breadth of God's love. I mean, the, the two of you should be the most grateful people in the world. And just because she has a past, if God has forgotten her past, if her sins are as far from her as east is from west, none of that matters because she's a new person altogether. I think sometimes we forget that we've been forgiven of some pretty shocking stuff too. So the way I would respond is thank her for her honesty and then let her know that it's really going to be fun for the two of you to experience 
the adventure of God's goodness to you from this day forward. Hope that helps. Thanks very much. Let's go to my friend in San Leandro. Tanya, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Papa. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I miss you. I do. I miss you, too, for sure. Um, first of all, I just want to say thank you. I mean, really, I I feel like, you know, God has used you to help me counsel people, and I feel like without this radio program, it seems like when I have a question on my head, somebody else is asking it. I was like, oh, that's great. <laughs> so um, to God be the glory for that. But I do have a question about, um, you know, I think I told you that I started, you know, talking, coming alongside more individual people. And so I've been counseling a young lady, and um, unfortunately, um, I honestly don't believe she's saved, you know, not for me to judge. Mm-hmm. But just when I look at the lack of fruit and just the lack of joy, you know, I've, I've asked several times, you know, you know, tell me who Jesus is to you. And she always has the textbook answers. But one of the things she struggles with is she's always uh, speaking ill of other people in our church. And I say, hey, you know, we're not going to do that. We're not going to we're not going to disparage somebody. You know, God loves this person. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. We will spend eternity with them. And so um, I had an episode where she um, was talking about somebody and I said, hey, you know, the right thing the Bible tells us to do is if you have a disagreement, go talk to that person. And she's like, I just wanted you to listen. I didn't want you to tell me what to do. You're always telling me what the Bible says to do, which I thought was kind of funny because that's kind of my job, <laughs> tell you what the Bible says. Um, and so, you know, I just kind of just said, you know what? Um, she said, I just want to take a break. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, meet with you anymore. And I, I love you, Tanya. I know you, you know, I told her, well, you know, my nature and character, you know, my heart, you know, I would never, you know, push you away, but you, you need to stop talking about people. Um, and so I just, you know, handed it over to the Lord and just say, you know, Lord, you know where she's at, meet her where she is. Is there anything else? Because I mean, I miss her, right? I love her. Mm-hmm. And I know she's struggling. Um, she had a pretty rough life to begin with. Anything else, Papa, that I, I should have done or could have done? And I'll just take your answer off the air. And I okay. love Paula very much. Thank you, Tanya. God bless you, and you are loved and missed. Um, you know, in a case like this, uh, um, the, the example you're setting, the, the witness you're establishing is really important because if we let people like that drag us into their filth, um, you know, it's not a matter of, uh, well, we don't want to listen or we don't care. We're not being sensitive enough. It's not that at all. It's just that we can't walk in the darkness God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. And the one thing I would do, Tanya, if you still have a text or something, is is I would challenge her to read 1 John chapter 4. Actually, the whole book of 1 John. We're getting ready to get started then in a few weeks. The whole book of 1 John is John just throwing out these platitudes. If you say you love God, but but you you, you hate people or you're treating people like you hate them, then you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. Over and over and over, he hammers the connection between behavior and genuine saving faith. So, uh, that First John is an absolute treasure. There's a lot of repetition, um, um, but it's so important um, to show people what it really is like to live a Christian life, to walk in the light. And your refusal to be dragged into her darkness, um, believe me, the Holy Spirit will use that. Here's something else that you need to know by faith, that she is the one, 
you miss her, you love her, but she's the one who's going to notice the difference that's missing in her life with you not there. It's suddenly like like somebody turned out the lights. You were that light, and that's why she would keep coming back to you. But when that light goes out, she's going to notice it. I promise you the Holy Spirit is going to be pounding, pounding, and pounding. And um, she'll, she'll contact you. She'll contact you. When she does, you just let her know that the Bible's never going to stop coming out of my mouth. I'm going to keep telling you how much God loves you. And I'm going to keep reminding you that you must be born again. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit will use it. Final thought on this is the people that give the textbook answers, yeah, I'm saved, Jesus died for my sin. Uh, Everybody knows that. But the the reality is that um, they haven't encountered Jesus Christ in a saving way. And so the way I would rephrase the question is, okay, when were you born again? And she can look at you because she won't understand what that means. And that gives you an opportunity to talk to her about what new life in Christ really is all about. Tanya, keep praying for her. God bless you, and I'll be praying for you always. We love you. 340-9585, that's area code 210, or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We've still got some time, I think, for a phone call or two to get in. Here's a question from Edward. He says, what is your opinion on Christians listening to secular music? Edward, I just sang. Now, when I say sang, it was just a little tiny bit. But I just sang a Beach Boy song last Sunday. Everybody's gone surfing. So the idea is secular music is fine. You know, we don't want to listen to stuff with filthy lyrics. We don't want to listen to anything that is demonic. But there's nothing at all wrong with secular music. And if you're hanging around with people who tell you that, no, you should only be listening to praise music, that's nonsense. Beethoven, Mozart, the Beach Boys, the Righteous Brothers. I could go on and on and on. There's wonderful music. So listen to your heart's content. And when you're doing it, you can thank God because that expression of beauty really comes from the heart and the imagination of God. And I am so grateful that God has really given us truly gifted, talented people who can enrich our lives that way. Now, I'm not a big music person, but there's nothing at all wrong with it. Don't let anybody tell you that there is. Yeah, my producer is saying Karen Carpenter, and then he blasphemed. He said Hall and Oates. Not Hall and Oates, but the Carpenters. Karen Carpenter is like the greatest. Quick, funny story with Karen Carpenter. Uh, I used to have a bunch of kids coming into the office uh, before Friday. Our school schedule kind of changed a little bit, so we don't do it anymore. But but uh, we, I'd have six or eight of the, the kids come in before 4 o'clock every day. My, my office is the studio. And they'd come in and they would pray for the radio show. They'd be praying for you guys and pray for the radio show. And uh, I got in the habit of turning on some really old, neat music. Uh, so when they came in, they were so. who's that? Okay, who who are you listening to today? And so it'd be the Beach Boys or the Righteous Brothers or or uh, Motown music or something like that. Well, one day I had Karen Carpenter on. And one of the little boys said, said uh, boy, that's a beautiful voice. And I said... 
I said, that is the single greatest female voice ever in the history of music. And one little boy, not the same little boy, but another little boy said, hey, Pastor Ron, what about my mom? Well, his mom is Jocelyn on our worship team. And I said, okay, except for Jocelyn, she's the greatest female voice. So, um, yeah, read, listen to your music, no problem. Here's an anonymous question. I think I've heard you say Orthodox Christians aren't really saved. Hank Hanegraaff has become Orthodox, and he's saved. Uh, Anonymous, I didn't say Orthodox Christians aren't saved. Uh, What I have said, and I get questions about Orthodox Christianity, uh, Eastern Orthodoxy, Russian Orthodoxy, Greek Orthodoxy, over and over and over on this program, is uh, they don't believe in nor teach that a man must be born again. So it's very much like a Catholic. Uh, I say, if somebody says, well, Catholics are saved, I, I say, well, if they're born again, they are. And God has a remnant everywhere. So there are some, but it's harder. Religion doesn't bring us closer to God. So if they're born again, they are saved. But most of the time they'll look and say, well, we don't believe that. Well, that doesn't matter what you believe. It's what Jesus himself said. And, and then it's left between them and the Holy Spirit to sort of wrestle with it. Now, regarding Hank Hanegraaff, uh, I've, I've, Hank Hanegraaff's been an important part of my life, my Christian life, from the very beginning. Hank Hanegraaff was a Calvary Chapel guy. He went to Calvary Costa Mesa. Pastor Chuck was his pastor. He was uh, pre-trib, pre-mill in his eschatology. He was the Bible answer man, and he did a great job. But he's changed so much over the years. Changes what he believes, changes what he thinks. Um, and, and he's, by, by converting to orthodoxy, he's just sort of denied the first 20 years, at least as it relates to my time in the Lord. He's just denied any value in the first the the first 20 years of of um my time uh, as a christian um because he's sort of reversed course um i'm sure hank hanegraaff is saved but he is so very very wrong now and so adamant and there just seems to be a completely different spirit so while at one time uh he was vital to 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 my growth in christ um he now runs a ministry um, that I I can't recommend to people, and I think that is a tragedy. So, pretty sure Hank saved, but he's wrong. Here's a question from India. Abraham believed in God, but how could that justify him before God? Well, India, we believe in God. And by the way, Abraham wasn't justified because he believed in God. Abraham believed God. And that's how everybody gets saved throughout all time, believing in the word of God, believing in the promises of God. It is his living and active word that changes us. That's the whole point of, of, uh, of our walk with the Lord, to believe him, to trust him. That's what active faith is. It's the faith to believe for salvation, but it's also the faith to um, trust him in the day-to-day things of life. Do what he says to do. If you do what is right, will it not go well with you, is what God told Cain way back in Genesis chapter 4. 
Well, that same thing is true for all of us. So Abraham believed God. Now, remember, Abraham came from an idol-worshiping family. That was his background. And when the Lord appeared to him, um, called him by name, his whole life and the history of the world changed. He believed God when God told him impossible things. You will have a son. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. How can that happen? I'm an old man. My wife is barren. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That in India is the way that we all get saved. Last question of the day. Chuck says, long-suffering is one of the fruits of the Spirit. How does suffering qualify as a fruit? Um, Chuck, long-suffering, a, a bad, that's an old English word. A, 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 long-suffering is better understood as patience. Uh, I always tell people when they say long-suffering, well, what that means in the Greek is that you suffer for a long time. Well, persevering is a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Persevering, being patient, not only being patient with God, but being patient with others. So, um, um, certain fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, talks about the fruits of the Spirit. And uh, I think the, the persevering part the long-suffering part or patience part, I think um, it is assumed by the Lord, it's assumed in the Word of God that we will persevere and finish the course. One thing I do, Paul says, forgetting what is behind, I strain on, press on uh, for the goal, the, the, the goal of, of seeing Jesus Christ. Peter says that, that being with Jesus is the goal of our salvation because he, Jesus, is the author and the finisher of our faith. Because he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete that work. I think this this persevering idea is um, something that is assumed of a genuine believer in the Word of God. So long-suffering, not physical suffering, although we will suffer and will persevere through that suffering, but it certainly is a fruit of the Spirit. Chuck, thank you very, very much. Hey, that pretty much does it for our program today. Um, I'm going to be here tonight, 7 o'clock, Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. Wonderful, wonderful news for everybody who's a believer. And then on Sunday, I'm going to be in Acts chapter 28, the first 10 verses. Um, We're about ready to wrap up the book of Acts. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. Lord willing, I'll be back here on Monday at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.